Okay, take one. We call this one Internal Consistency, Bad Hair Days, and the Appraiser Doth Protest Too Much, Methinks. Let's first talk about internal consistency, or really what happens is internal inconsistency. This is something that reviewers and state investigators look for. The reason they look for it is because generally it is so easy to find. Therefore, it is generally so easy to prove against the appraiser. Now you ask, what is an example of an internal inconsistency or a lack of internal consistency? Let me give you some. These are common ones. There are other more complex ones, but these are common ones. Number one, for example, on page one, the 1004 form indicates the market is stable. Yet on page two, in the sales comparison approach, the appraiser has a time adjustment. Well, the problem is, if the market's stable, there isn't going to be a change in value over time. So which one's right? Is it a stable market or is it a dynamic market? Whichever it is, the appraiser should mark clearly and then maintain that consistency throughout the report. Another consistency problem is highest and best use. Most software automatically marks the highest and best use as the present use. That's fine because, quite frankly, most of the time it is. However, the problem comes when it isn't the highest and best use. And this happens clearly in neighborhoods in transition. So if you indicate your neighborhood is in transition, but the highest and best use is the current use of the property, be prepared to explain that. Another inconsistency, and this is very common, is appraising to the standard of market value per the Fannie Mae definition, yet not making cash equivalency adjustments when those are necessary. Let me explain. Fannie Mae's definition of market value talks about a purchase price being in terms of U.S. dollars in cash or in terms equivalent thereto. For example, if Mr. and Mrs. Seller, in order to sell the house, have to toss in a boat, motor, and trailer, that's fine. That's just part of the negotiations. They get to do that. However, a boat, motor, and trailer are not real property. Therefore, the appraiser must deduct from the contract price, from the purchase and sale price, the value of the boat, motor, and trailer. Is that going to be difficult? Yes, it is, quite frankly. And you say, Tim, wait a minute, how can I find out something like that? Well, what you have to do is pick up the phone and call somebody, the broker, the buyer, the seller. Does that take a lot of time? Yes, it can. But yet, if we're appraising to the standard of market value, we're implying to our clients that the sales price we show in the report is the cash equivalent sales price. Therefore, if it's not, we have to adjust out the personality. Another inconsistency is indicating the subject is in average condition or typical condition for the neighborhood, but then using good or excellent cost figures in the cost approach. The cost approach is difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because of depreciation. And maybe we need to put a little bit less emphasis on the cost approach as an indication of value and more emphasis on it as an analytical tool. But the point is, if you mark the subject is in average condition, average quality, etc., 
then the cost approach should show the same type of quality and condition. Now, anomalies can exist. It's possible that you've got what is generally a stable market in the long term, but there have been price increases or decreases, frankly. That's okay. The issue here is not that a market that is stable cannot have increasing or decreasing values. The issue is the appraiser does not explain the anomaly. Therefore, the key is, if something falls outside of typical, explain it. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. One of the problems with inconsistencies is that they make us, the appraisers, appear to be confused, or even worse, biased. Now, what do you mean by biased? Simple, we're going by the USPAP definition that basically says, you, the appraiser, do something that favors a party to the transaction. Well, let's go back to that cash equivalency example. If you don't take out the personality or the financing or whatever that isn't the real property, then you're representing to the client that the property is worth more than it really is. Now, that can accrue to the buyer's benefit and it can go against the lender in foreclosure. So anytime you do anything that favors one party in the transaction over another, that can be construed as bias. Remember that an appraisal and its attendant report are a closed system. What that means is if you make a change on page one, chances are there's going to be a necessary change also on page two. What's on page one previews what's on page two. Therefore, when you tell the reader a market is stable, the reader is not going to expect to see a time adjustment on page two. If you choose to make one, however, an explanation is necessary. We've spoken about the appraisal forms that we used before. I am no fan of them. You probably are not either. The forms themselves do not foster internal consistency. First of all, they do not follow the appraisal process as Standard 1 explains it. Indeed, Standard 1 can be used as a checklist for what is supposed to be in an appraisal. The forms themselves assume every appraisal is assignment is subject to reduction to a series of checkboxes. We all know this is just not true, yet that's what the form assumes, and that's how the form expects us to conduct an appraisal. Again, favoring any party to the transaction, and let's face it, the appraisal reports going to the lender, is bias, something we've got to avoid. The forms accept addenda so the appraiser can explain any anomalies, but the computer reads only the boxes, not the addenda. Therefore, when the reviewer gets a hold of the report, all the reviewer knows is there's something wrong, not necessarily what's wrong. Because it's the reviewer's job to review the report, let's face it, the reviewer is going to assume there's something wrong. Because we tend to use forms, especially in residential work, this does not foster in us any reason to develop technical writing skills. As a result, some appraisers have a problem with technical writing. They shouldn't. Writing should be simple and easy for an appraiser. We communicate. Writing is communication. The appraisal fees many lenders are willing to pay for an appraisal are just too low to obtain a job well done. 
So those clients are getting what they pay for. In other words, if the clients were willing to pay a reasonable fee for the appraisal, appraisal quality would most likely go up. Now, what are the results of internal inconsistencies? Okay, number one, the client, the underwriter, and the reviewer are confused. They don't quite know what's going on because of those inconsistencies. The resolution of those inconsistencies rarely accrues to the appraiser's benefit. In other words, it's tough not to look dumb when you're having to fix a mistake. We've also found that many appraisal reviewers are not trained appraisers, thus do not understand that what appears to be internally inconsistent may be nothing more than the appraiser waiting until the narrative addenda to explain what's going on. Unfortunately, once the reviewer thinks there's something wrong, it's difficult to replace that idea in the reviewer's head. Note that AMCs and lenders have no compelling reason not to turn your report into the state board. Therefore, they tend to do so. They tend to turn appraisers in, even though the appraiser may have done his or her best to recognize and then fix an internal inconsistency problem. Lenders and AMCs that see an appraiser as a problem tend not to choose that appraiser to complete future appraisal assignments. This means AMCs and lenders tend to choose appraisers who do not cause them any problems. Now, you can say to yourself, yeah, and they probably choose appraisers who tend to come in at their numbers. I won't debate that. Therefore, appraisers who demonstrate reports with a pattern of internal inconsistencies are those appraisers who tend to be the ones clients, etc., turn into state boards and not use in the future. So, how do we avoid internal inconsistencies? Here are a few ways. Number one, probably the biggest one is to avoid cloning reports. This almost always results in what I call a legacy, meaning something is in report B from report A that has no logical or rational reason to be in report B. Since the appraiser merely cloned the report, but typically does not read it word for word, these legacies tend to stay in there. Another inconsistency is the data on top of page 2. These data must be from truly comparable sales and truly comparable listings. They should not be there merely because they were a sale or listing in the same neighborhood as the subject. This is important. To use a sale as a comp means you've done the analyses to show that the sale has the same highest and best use as the subject. If you use a sale as a comp, but don't have those analyses in the work file, that omission is, one, a major internal inconsistency, and two, a suggestion that you're trying to mislead the client. The misleading part comes from claiming you did something that you really did not. Remember, the client has the right, the state has the right, to say, because the definition of a comparable sale is one that has the same highest and best use as the subject, and you use these four sales as comparables, please show me your analyses by which you determined those sales are indeed comparable. 
I would suggest, as part of avoiding internal inconsistencies, to familiarize yourself with the USPAP's ethics rule, but especially what the ethics rule means. An ethics violation is so egregious as far as the professional societies and state appraisal boards go because they indicate the appraiser had a choice and therefore chose to violate the rules. It wasn't done out of ignorance. It wasn't done out of a shortage of time. It was done via a choice to break the rules. Another idea is to get another appraiser to read your reports critically and specifically for internal inconsistencies. This is not free, but it's a whole lot cheaper than paying for legal and other expert services down the road. If a reviewer criticizes you for internal inconsistencies, don't advertise that fact on any social media. Learn from it, change your behavior, and then make it a paving stone on your road to becoming a better appraiser but don't whine about it in public. Now, you might ask, what do internal inconsistencies have to do with bad hair days? Good question. If you catch a reviewer on a bad hair day, even a minor internal inconsistency is going to look bad to the reviewer. Therefore, assume all reviewers are having a bad hair day and produce your appraisals and write your reports so that the reviewer, bad hair day or not, has no logical or rational reason to submit your report to the state. So, write your reports and your appraisals so that the reviewer has no logical or rational reason to submit your report to any greater than typical scrutiny. Now, Let's go back to highest and best use for a minute. Please make a note of this. This is standard rule 2-2A Roman numeral 10 or 2-2AX. And this is what it says. This is a quote. When an opinion was developed by the appraiser, meaning an opinion of highest and best use, summarize the support and rationale for that opinion in the report. This does not mean merely check the box. That's part of it. But somewhere in the report, you must summarize your support and rationale for your opinion of highest and best use. The boilerplate that comes pre-printed in your software does not comply. You have to do that specially. And finally, what about the appraiser doth protest too much, methinks? Well, that happens to be from uh, Act 3, Scene 2 in Hamlet, in which... Queen Gertrude says, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. But we're going to look at it from an appraiser standpoint. And this goes back to not putting stuff like this in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Active Rain, etc. Someone who denies something too strongly looks like they're trying to hide something. Or when someone honks about something too loudly, you question that person's sincerity. And when I say the appraiser doth protest too much, I use it to mean if we did not honk and bitch so much about our problems on appraiser forums, public forums, Facebook, etc., chances are nobody would really know that we had that particular problem. So there it is. We've talked about internal consistencies, internal inconsistencies, bad hair days, and appraisers who protest too much. I appreciate you listening. Thank you. I'm Tim Anderson, the appraiser's advocate, and we're clear.